on an island. LGBTQ plus oral histories on the Isle of Wight. From coming out stories to going out memories. What is it really like to be out on an island? Out on an Island is an oral history project by Stonecrafts Theatre, supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Hello, I'm Ines Sampaio and I am your host. In today's podcast, Franco Figueiredo talks to Sydney Cardew. Sydney shares her gender identity journey, talks about role models, pride on the island, action role play and a lot more. trans lesbian uh, woman um, from the Isle of Wight, born, born and bred Isle of Wight. Okay, let's start talking about why did you feel perhaps inspired to, you know, leave your story with us? Um, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm trying to think of a way that, that to phrase it without making it sound sort of um, narcissistic or anything like that. Well, I mean, I, I, I just thought that I have a particular experience of, of things. I mean, I know that a lot of, I know that you've, you've probably got some other, um, some other trans women um, in, in your project, but they're probably older, I think. Um, and yeah, I think it's important to, to get as, as broad a range of, of, of um, things going on as possible. Mm. Um, That's the idea of the project, yeah. really. I mean, like, we want to get a, a, the wider spectrum as much as we can, because and we are all individuals, you know, with although members of that group, we are all individuals in our own selves, yeah. you know, our stories, as our kind of hashtag goes, <laughs> our stories matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us about your childhood. <laughs> That's quite a broad question. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in a more rural part of the island in Ripley. I had, I mean, a quite mixed childhood in many ways. I think I had a very, a very nice um, childhood at, at home. Uh, my parents did very well by me. Um, well, that's my extended family with my grandmother, grandfather, and my aunt and my parents in a quite a big house, and it was very nice. And yeah, it was the sort of idyllic English country childhood. There was lots of, yeah, going for dog walks and playing in the woods and looking for mushrooms and all that sort of, of, of stuff. Um, and the contrast was with um, things at school. So, I mean, I, I had a very bad time at school um, throughout pretty much my entire school career because um, I, was, I was bullied uh, and sort of <laughs> teased and taunted and, and for various, various things going on. Um, I think I was perceived as, as being, funnily enough, being quite effeminate. <laughs> And, and that was certainly back in those days. Um, I think things may have improved a little bit now, but back in those days at school, school um, was intensely homophobic. I mean, and I mean, when I say it was homophobic, I mean, transphobic wasn't even on the radar because trans people weren't even on the radar. Um, so, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I did, I sort of, I grew up, yeah, I had that kind of thing going on. Um, and, how far forwards do you want me to, to go in childhood? It's or? up to you what, what you feel comfortable sharing with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I mean, I didn't have any kind of real thoughts about gender identity and so on until um, puberty hit. Um, so I was one of those. There's, there's one of those people who kind of 
I suppose when I was a, a child, it, I was just a child. Um, yeah, you didn't, I didn't have any sense of anything, sexuality or gender or anything. Um, and when I, st- yeah, and I started, when I started going through puberty or whatever, I started getting very, um, very depressed for some reason. I couldn't quite, couldn't quite put my finger on anything. Um, lots of sort of childhood signs and things. Um, looking back, um, nothing was noticed at the time, really. I mean, I think my, my mother said, you know, she, she wondered, oh, was I gay? Was something, you know, what, what was going on? Because of little things. But, um, but sort of, it, and uh, sort of at the age of, I, I think I must have been about 13 or 14. Um, so, I mean, I encountered the idea of, of changing gender and things in science fiction books, fantasy books, things like that. I was quite, a, I was a very voracious reader, quite introverted. Um, child and so I thought it was this I thought it was wonderful um, but I thought it was a, a fantasy a made up thing you know like a, like being a superhero or something like that you know like because I'd love to be you know I thought I'd love to be able to fly or, or, or you know be able to turn invisible and I'd love to be able to change gender that sounds that sounds cool but I can't do that but and then I obviously at some point despite the lack of education and, and things going on. Of course, this was the era of, of Section 28 and there weren't really trans people on telly and all of that. I discovered, I think, um, that you, it was real, that, that people did change, that you could become, you know, a boy could become a girl, and a girl could become a boy, essentially. And that um, was quite... <laughs> um, Quite a revelation to me and that began a, a long very long uh dance of me trying to sort of uh, allow myself that denying it repressing it and so on and so forth um and yeah and, and i didn't i had this very instinctive idea that this wasn't something i could like openly talk to people even my parents or anyone about there was no kind of um i didn't have any friends like real life that I could talk to about it yeah I didn't feel comfortable safe even my best friends you know kind of bringing this up because it's like the the environment was so hostile towards you know any kind of I mean I think my parents would have been all right but it was just you know it was just those things I turned to sort of the internet and Mm. things like that for um some kind of support or understanding of what was going on and unfortunately that that wasn't wasn't a great idea because the information available online back in those days was quite bad for trans people um very because i got myself into all sorts of um down all sorts of rabbit holes of, of of sort of there was a lot of a lot of stuff that was obsessed with ideas of who was really trans and who wasn't um and I managed to sort of convince myself that I was just faking it somehow, which is very strange looking back, but it was sort of, I managed to convince myself that. And, and yeah, and that, that was, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm completely going off on a tangent. Um, you're talking about... Um, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that sort of, uh, you know, so in terms of like sort of gender and sexuality stuff, I mean, as I got older, I um, started growing my hair out, uh, and I started experimenting with, with sort of clothing and, and, and makeup and stuff. And I never, I never sort of cross-dressed um, consciously because um, I was, I had this kind of really 
tense feeling of shame about that. Like I thought, I can't wear, you know, women's clothes or anything like that. What I did was I, I sort of got into the, the gothic subculture and I sort of used that as an excuse to sort of wear fishnets and skirts and, and makeup and things. And that was, and that was quite, um, that was quite difficult on the island in the noughties to, to go around dressed, to go around, uh, you know, being sort of a 15, 16 year old boy wearing lipstick. Um, and that got me some pretty unpleasant experiences um, uh, that kind of, I think, kind of um, to the point where I kind of gave up on all that when I was sort of, by the time I was sort of 19, 20, I mean, I got um, physically assaulted on several occasions. Insults, you know, insults held at me in the street. I got spat, spat at, and things, and all sorts of, of, of crap. And, and yeah, none of it felt like it could be. I didn't feel like I could go to the. Yeah, you know, the one time that um, I mean, I was in Rye bus station, and this guy had come up to me, and I don't know why the. I, I never really worked out why the police turned up. I think maybe he'd been thrown out of a pub or something, and they were kind of chasing him already, like he was on a tear around Rye. He sort of he cornered me and, and sort of I can't even remember what he was saying. Um, I was terrified. Uh, and the, the police turned up and sort of grabbed him essentially, and um, and I sort of tried to talk to one of them, and and he essentially sort of told me that you know uh, if I was going to go around dressed like that, well you know you should expect negative attention <laughs> essentially. You know. That, so there was never, I never had any sense, yeah, I, I, yeah, that I could report um, that there was any kind of anyone looking out. So <laughs> this was the actual police. This was the actual, this the actual police. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was too kind of in. I was a bit drunk at the time myself, and I was, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I was only seventeen, eighteen. Mm -hmm. Didn't like think to give his number or anything. But yeah, it, it didn't seem like it was. It yeah, it just seemed like something you had to put up with, um, and that kind of that kind of uh, those kind of negative experiences kind of pushed me very much back into the yeah it, it seemed for a while maybe looking back like I was kind of going through ramping up kind of a process which would eventually have led to me working everything out and coming to terms with everything in my sort of early 20s mid 20s but that kind of experience pushed me back right back into the sort of into the internal closet <laughs> As it were, mm. you know, um, and I kind of um, I did that. I did a thing which is quite common of uh, sort of overcompensating in ways. I sort of took up uh, masculine hobbies and started wearing a beard and <laughs> um, you know. What kind of masculine hobbies? Um, I, I got really. In, well, I started sort of uh, with martial arts, um, but I didn't get take up that much. Um, and I got into a sort of historical reenactment, uh, medieval. Early medieval, so I used to dress up as a Viking and <laughs> had a sword and axe things. And um, I still, I'm still very good friends with a lot of people that I met through that, and they're actually all all, all quite cool about the trans thing. Mm. But um, but yeah, that was my kind of, uh, <laughs> and it you know it, it didn't seem. Yeah, right. but it's interesting because you say that because we have spoken to other interviewees and they do mention about you know the element of overcompensating mm -hmm. sometimes. 
Um, can we just go back a little bit? Because yeah, yeah, you sure. mentioned about uh, chatting with your mother, you know, yeah. about uh, uh, being queer, what was going on. How was that? Do you remember that, that moment? I, How was that conversation? I don't really... Cl I, I mean, I know that I must have had several conversations with my mother during my teenage years. I have very kind of sometimes very vague memories. I mean, I, was, I had a lot of um, dissociation when I, before I started transitioning and taking hormones and things. Uh, feeling dreamlike and, and, and robotic and things like that was quite a common um, thing. So a lot of memories... I mean, yeah, it's a terrible thing here, <laughs> recording by oral history, <laughs> but a lot of memories seem quite vague. And, and but no, my mum, my mother definitely recalls me sort of having several conversations about asking her what did she think was, in a vague way, did she think I was gay? What was up with me, <laughs> as it were? Because um, I mean, it, it was it was all kind of very confused. Like I mean, like I said, I, I had all these ideas, you know, this information available on the internet. Um, so I mean. I came across this, I, I was trying to look up like rational explanations for why people are gay, why people are trans, all this sort of stuff. And I came across this sort of idea that um, trans people are sort of super gay. Like, like that you're, you're straight and then if you're a little bit, what you know, feminized, you become bisexual. And if you're a bit more feminized, you become gay. And then you're a bit more feminized, you become transgender. And obviously, like a cor uh, you know, a side effect of that would be that, that all real trans women would be attracted to men um, sexually, which which I'm I'm, I'm not. <laughs> um, so that kind of made me think, oh god, I'm I must be just some weirdo. And I actually tr tried to you know date men for a while, and and, and sort of went through all. I, I I sometimes joke that I've been every mem every letter of the LGBT. <laughs> Certainly, the, 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 certainly one before you get to the I, I'm everything LGBTQ. Um, <laughs> have been at one point, no, yeah, have been at some point in my life, tried to be, or thought I was, or, 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 or gone through that. Nothing, nothing kind of made sense until I eventually kind of gave myself a kick up the arse. <laughs> when did it make sense? Can you pinpoint? Uh. Yeah, um, I mean, so like what? Even though I said I've kind of gone back into depression denial, I think because I was not trying not to actively explore it, actually a lot of things kind of did more fall into place in my head um, in my sort of late 20s. Um, and it kind of, I kind of got over a lot of the kind of the neurotic <laughs> circular things that I've been going through. And... Um, what precipitated my it was a big it was a sort of uh, emotional crisis type thing that made me so a friend of mine a um, very good friend of mine killed himself in early 2018 um, he went missing and they found his body months later um, he wasn't living on the island at the time, yeah, he was living off in Bristol at the time but he was a very good friend of mine and, and, and my wife so I know that he um, not necessarily about gender and so on um, but I know he's had a lot of struggles, uh, like his, yeah, things like identi his identity and things, and and it sort of, and I didn't really know why. No one really, yeah, he, he kind of snapped really. It was he was okay. I remember talking to him on the phone around Christmas time, and then, yeah, he killed himself in like January the twelfth or thirteenth, something like that, um, and it just kind of he just kind of you know he just kind of. 
and it made me feel, made me think, suddenly had this sort of like feeling coming up like, God, what if that, what if I'm going to, what if that happens to me? What if I, by all this repression, all this kind of thing, by not kind of facing up to what I know, like, because I had this, now had this sense, like, almost in the back of my mind, like, I have actually decided I was trans and that I would transition, but it was at some point way in the future, you know, when, I don't know, when technology, when you when you could just jump in a booth and nano machines would remake you or see it back to the sci-fi stuff, you know? Um, but I sort of think, well, A, what if, you know, that that kind of disrepression like makes me snap like like he did and, and do something horrible to myself. And, and B, yeah, that made me think about, yeah, the fragility of, of life and how absolutely terrible it would be if you, you know I could get knocked down by a bus tomorrow and I would never have been me essentially so you know over the next year I started came I started having some having conversations with um, my wife had conversations um, with people with support people online and stuff um, started laying the groundwork, uh, yeah, I, I eventually got around to sort of shaving my beard off, which was a big thing, because I'd had this beard for 10 years, and it was like a big trademark, I did like a braided, you know, like a, like it was quite long, and thing, and when my friends first saw me without it, they were all like, oh! yeah, they, some people had never seen my face underneath it, um, in fact, my wife had never seen me without it, which was How quite, how did it uh, feel? How did it feel? <clears throat> really liberating, because it, it, it well, it was scary at first. It took me ages to work up for it because I had this idea that two, one of two things is going to happen when I shave this beard off, right? I'm either going to look in the mirror at my clean-shaven face and one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to either know that I'm trans and that I need to transition and that's, that's huge or I'm going to know that I've made a huge mistake and I'll have lost my beard and I'll be really sad. <laughs> Um, It'll grow back though. <laughs> exactly. Well, I kept, I kept the, um, I kept the braid. I cut the braid off and kept it. I've still got it. Oh, I was wow. thinking I could clip it back on if I needed to, <laughs> but um, I didn't. As it turned out, I looked into the mirror and I knew. I saw my face under it for the first time in years and years, and I was like, um, I was also, I was really worried that I'd like got really old and stuff. <laughs> Actually, it kept my skin quite nice. Um, so yeah, and that, and that kind of. Yeah, and then after that, it was that was kind of like it was just transition kind of rushed, and then I, I yeah, it was, it was within a month, a couple of months of that, I was out and legally, legally changing my name and starting the medical process and everything. Yeah. You know. How easy was that process? How? Not not how, easy at all. How was, how was that process for you? Um, so I mean, I did my research quite carefully online who knew what they were doing talk to people here locally uh, and tried my best to get through and I, I, I was lucky enough to have a little bit of money saved um, I did my best to, to, to barrel through the process as fast and as kind of aggressively in the sense as possible and it was still it was still very bad. I mean, I'm sure if you talk to other trans people in, in this project, they will all have said how terrible the medical system is in this country for trans people, how awfully slow and sometimes adversarial it can be. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I went to my doctor and got referred, and then I went, I started the process of getting a private um, diagnosis of gender dysphoria and a private prescription of, of hormones, and, and I went through, and I, so I mean, I, I went through, I, I did my full social transition, as it was called, changed my name and started living full-time as a woman, dressing as a woman all the time, uh, before I started medical treatment of any sort because I felt like that was the way to, that was the way to, to be believed, you know, because um, you, 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 know, you hear all sorts of people who have problems sort of, uh, with doctors just won't believe that they're trans. Um, they try and make them do things to sort of prove that they're trans. I was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'll, <laughs> I'll turn up with my D-pole and my driver's license with, with Mrs. Mrs. on it and in a, in a, in a, in a frock and you can't, there's nothing you can do about that is there at the end of the day um, it took it took ages so I started the whole kind of process because I needed to, 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 to get referred by my GP and get a shared care agreement to cover some of the costs of, of the medical stuff and whatnot I started that in April and it was September by the time I got my first late September I got my first dose of hormones I think that's about as fast as you could possibly do it in this country um, and obviously surgery is, is years and years and years and years away um, for me. And it was all, it was very kind of, as I said, I mean, I, I was lucky enough that I had a little bit of money that I could throw towards it, essentially. And, and the surgery, it, can, uh, can you all be taking surgery through the NHS? Surgery, yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that there are limits to my finances. Um, so bo bottom surgery, genital reconstruction can be got through the NHS. Um, Obviously, there's a multi-stage process of, of appointments and referrals and this, that, and the other. That um, I, I can, I, I can, I'm, I'm sort of, but fingers crossed that I may be able to get it in 2024, 2025. Um, might be more like 2026, 20, 20. Yeah, it's, it's a long, very long way away, really. Um, and how, um, when you, you know, uh, decided to embrace. Mm. Um, how were your friends and your, you know, you talk about your wife, were yeah. you married already? Or I was, yeah, we were, we were already married. Um, one of my biggest regrets is, I mean, I remember, I remember when we were getting married, joking about, oh, I should, we should, we should, um, we should really be extraordinary and I should wear a dress and you should wear a suit and, and yeah, <laughs> as a, you know, as a joke. Um, I wish I'd, yeah, one of my biggest regrets in life is getting married as a man. Um, especially because I mean the, the the friend who died who was my 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 wife's sort of best person um, and best man yeah we both had best men essentially because he's a, he's her best friend and so any kind of renewal or anything will be very uh, emotionally I mean yeah I don't like anyway <laughs> I can feel that. yeah <laughs> but anyway uh, so obviously so yeah, obviously I mean you know. In the years of, of sort of, of thinking about transitioning and thing, I had built up in my head the idea that um, transitioning would be very, 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 very hard socially, and that obviously given my experiences on the island stuff beforehand, and that it would, I, I was sort of prepared to sort of lose most of my friends, and um, you just don't know. Well, whether even people who seem decent, maybe you don't really know. Maybe they've got some negative opinions. Um, Actually, actually, it was really. It turned out that um, 
whatever reason, I mean, yeah, maybe, yeah, I, I, obviously things have not got completely better on the island by a long stretch, but it turned out that actually everyone was great. Um, they, they, you know, people, people have been not ignorant in the sense of not quite knowing what to do, what to say, and people slipped up, especially sort of in the first few months, people would slip up and get my name wrong and pronouns wrong and things like that, which is pretty normal. I mean, yeah, they know me for years and years, however many years as, as someone else. Um, but everyone sort of put the effort in, and it was kind of, or you know, and it, yeah, it, it went really well. My family are all great with it. My, my, my wife loves it. <laughs> um, saying, yeah, you're so much, you know, happier now. <laughs> even though, yeah, even though I have like hard days with it still. Um, yeah. Sorry. It's wonderful to hear Sydney. Thank you. Have that because I think it's so important and the the yeah. your close environment. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just making sure that. Um, it's okay. Um. I'm I I'm curious as well. I mean, like, yeah. um, because you 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 mentioned about the fantasy um, reading that you yeah. you know that the whole world of fantasy and and, and novels and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you remember a particular one that uh, kind of like you thought you connected with that character uh, or character? Yeah, well, I mean, the story. Uh, so it's mostly a big sort of voracious reader of science fiction books. Um, so two two ones that stick in my mind particularly. Um, a book by Ursula K. Le Guin called um, The Left Hand of Darkness, which is about a uh, sort of feminist science fiction novel um, set in a world where people are mostly agender. Um, and they, they, only get, they only get a sex once every month. They kind of, they, they, they go into heat essentially and become either male or female, depending on circumstances. Um, and that kind of not, nothing particular, but that kind of idea was very kind of like, especially the idea that it could happen innately and spontaneously. And, and that's also another thing. So the other thing is, is um, Ian M. Banks is a, is a Scottish science fiction writer, one of my favourite. He's, he's, he's dead now. Um, he wrote about this sort of far future um, society called the culture, this sort of utopian, enlightened sort of society with a sort of seamy underbelly, whatever. But, but they, they have sort of modified their bodies um, scientifically for, for in various ways and one of the ways they've done is they can spontaneously change their sex just by thinking about it essentially they, they sort of they, they their body over a month or so their bodies will completely reconfigure themselves and and it's and there's a I remember there was it's quite funny um, sort of an inversion thing in, in one of his books um, the called the player of games uh, which is um, the main character is considered a weirdo because he's never changed sex. Right. He's like the one one member of his society. He's, he's, he's basically the only cis person in a, in a world, in a whole civilization of trans people, essentially. Um, or not the only one, but he's, he's considered unu very unusual because most people sort of change sex fairly regularly when they feel like it, you know. And, it, and is this written in the, in the 90s, 80s? Oh, yeah, this is this is the 90s, 90s or 80, eight, late 80s, I think. Right. But yeah, quite ahead of the game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, is, is he trans? Uh, uh, no, no, one, no one no no one, one knows. knows about that. He did drink himself into an early grave. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that some people speculate uh, online 
certainly but but he, there might have been something going on there because there are other other books appear to have themes of, of gender um and gender interesting isn't it changing and things and and it excluding some of his non-science fiction books have trans characters in and stuff like that and deal with that kind of stuff so it's it was certainly something heavily on his mind <laughs> yeah there was another thing you mentioned about the hostile environment when you were growing up as, mm. a, young, as a young person, you know, yeah. particularly in your teens. What was it that, um, is there anything that you could pinpoint, any memories, anything that mm. could, um, made you feel that this was not a safe environment for you? Oh, um, in terms of specifics, I mean, you can't pick out any specifics. I mean, you know, at, at school in, you know, in the 90s and the noughties, you would hear homophobic remarks every day, absolutely. Like, just it was uh, just completely suffused the the whole culture of, of, of you know masculinity of that uh, of teenage masculinity. Um, you know, if 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 something was was there was a you know we commonly used to saying oh you know if something was naff or or, or defective or things oh, that's gay you know like it was so it was like a negative like a pervasive it was so but you know so completely homophobic like you had you just had this constant sense of like the, 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 like being you know queer in some whatever way is like not a good thing to be it's gonna especially for someone who was i mean i was bullied for it almost seemed like for whatever reason was on the menu i don't know i really don't know you know i was when i was younger i was bullied for being thin and then i was bullied for being fat and i was bullied for going through puberty too early and i was bullied for or yeah all the yeah whatever i was just i was just a target of bullies essentially yeah. where was the school uh, i went to uh, private school actually went to westmont which doesn't exist anymore and then i went to ride uh ride school um which was very it's very macho environment very kind of rug rugby and cricket <laughs> that sort right. of thing and i did not fit in there very well at all and of course uh, the, the the culture also went to the teachers as well because it was very much a a thing of you know schools you know so school sports and things were huge um so like you know and most of the most of the boys who were assholes to me were, you know, on the rugby eleven or, you know, <laughs> in the in the in the cricket team, or whatever, or whatever. You know, they were they were liked by the teachers because the teachers were all of that culture as well, or that kind of old public school kind of. And it was just I I I hated it. <laughs> so, who was your social circle? Your friends? I mean, I yeah, I was like I had decentish social circle there are a few of us who are sort of more kind of i'll say like rebel types um boys and girls um so sort of alternative um uh had a few kind of quite close friends uh, it was weird i had like a completely set almost separate circle of male friends and separate circle of female friends that's what was a really because i mean I, it was that, i think that's probably one of the things that actually got me bullied for being um effeminate or whatever actually thinking about it um is that i always had female friends but i didn't have a girlfriend <laughs> sort of thing. yeah i i i i always felt you know maybe obvious reasons i always enjoyed having friendships with with girls and i i liked the 
I liked being able to understand bits of girls' culture and, like, I would sort of kind of take film and book and music recommendations off them and, and you know, watch films that the girls like and read books. Like, yeah, just stuff like that. I mean, it, you know, I was kind of... I don't know how I kind of conceptualised it within myself. I, I guess it was... I was like, oh, yeah, I'm being open-minded, you know. Yeah, I'm, 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 I did a lot of that sort of thing. I was like, yeah, I'm just open-minded. I'm, I remember at one point in my sort of 20s thinking, like, I'm actually really masculine because I have the confidence to not be masculine. So I must be the most masculine. That's how, that's how it works. I don't know. It's, it's so, you go around in circles then. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, I did, did have friends. It wasn't completely, I was completely kind of like just in the corner crying all the time. Um, but I still didn't enjoy. <laughs> and going out, where where was where were the places? Where did, what did you do for uh, entertainment? Oh, God. Uh, so, I mean, like later on, uh, sort of, so from, from about sort of the age of 15, 16 is when we started going out drinking. <laughs> um, we used to, we used to. <laughs> Hang out in cemeteries and drink, drink Jack Daniels and smoke, <laughs> smoke Marlboro. We always said drink Jack. You had to drink Jack Daniels and smoke Marlboro because that's what rock stars, that's what metal metal guys drank and smoked like Slash from, from Guns N' Roses or like people whatever. It was, it's all very kind of artful and very conscious and stuff. And yeah, and we kind of and then we kind of hang out. There was a place and ride the Squaddy, the Royal Squadron. They used to have uh, a back room. They used to put local bands used to play there. And the bouncers used to have a pretty tolerant. Car. They used to just—they didn't really check how old people were, you know. <laughs> eventually, I mean, eventually they got the, that got the place shut down. Eventually, for just sell, just just uh, serving booze to underage people. Essentially, like serially, it was a real scummy, real scummy sort of dive um, kind of place. But it was kind of our kind of anyway. Yeah, we and then that shut down. We always used to just sit and drink on the seafront. <laughs> Essentially on Friday nights, that was our what we did. We and we went sometimes we went to Portsmouth or Southampton to go to concerts and things like that. Um, I mean, it felt it felt like there was yeah more of a yeah. I mean, that was the kind of culture I was part of, that kind of rock rocker um, subculture alternative mm. kind of thing. Um, there was a little more freedom of gender expression and things like that. You know, it was not entirely you know some there were. There were Boys wore makeup and you know did the hair and all sorts of things. Yeah, it was it was the closest thing there was to any kind of queer <laughs> culture on the Isle of Wight, I think. Certainly at the time. And when <coughs> when and where did you meet your wife? Oh God! How um, was that? Would you like to share? The, could you could you share the story? Uh, I'm not sure I can go into too many details because okay. she's quite private and I don't sure. think she'd like to to have a lot. After so I, was, I I went off to university um, for a bit sort of came back. Um, Where was the university? At Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah, went did studied fine arts at the Arts University of Bournemouth, um, and eventually sort of en ended up coming back to the island. Um, I did did a master's degree. It was it was while I was um, in my master's degree. Um, we met through a friend, and sort of hit it off and awkwardly. I mean. Um, always, my, I always kind of like we. All, I always, I always joked in inverted commas, yeah, that we had a very lesbian 
style of relationship. Um, you know, and we, I thought, you know, going back, lots of kind of stereotypes about about lesbians. Like our first date lasted eight hours and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving, going from, from coffee shop to coffee shop. Sorry, hit my, hit my microphone. Um, going from coffee shop to coffee shop. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we sort of we sort of went got together and and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go into too the much. rest of history. Yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I haven't cleared it any of it with her, and I, I think you know, she'd be of quite um, quite miffed <laughs> to hear that the the entire story of our um, mentioned here of our, no, of our romantic history is in a is in a vault in yeah. Castle. So now, married Sydney, where mm. where does she go? Mm. Where did she go? Yeah, for you know, socialising and oh, where on do the I island. Go? Yeah. Um, well, at the moment, obviously, <coughs> because of the coronavirus, not very many places. Sorry, but, I didn't uh, mean in a metaphorical way. No. It was quite literal. Yeah, no, no. Um, so I mean, yeah, obviously, during during normal places, more, yeah. during more normal times. I mean, yeah. I've become so much more social since coming out. Um, I have a variety of, of hobbies. I, I I I'm a Morris dancer, which is of those things um, with the moonshine border morris side um uh, i i enjoy i thought i was probably ruined that live action live action role play and board games two of my biggest um, passions i go to board game evenings and live action role plays on the mainland and things um which is very queer it's actually very it's actually very queer what um, what is live action role play so uh, live action role play is um Essentially, a sort of combination between, uh, like, you know, like a role-playing game, like, like Dungeons and Dragons or something. People sit around a table and, and are characters. Um, so in live-action role-play, you just get rid of the table and you just are your characters. You dress as them. Um, there's a kind of so the, the one I mainly take part in is a game called Empire, which is I work actually work for the company that that um, that runs it, called Found Decisions. Um, I do set dressing and set design and, and things like that. And play a character character who's part of the, the game world for the players and so on anyway um, but yeah people dress up you have this whole there's this whole kind of backstory of this world people go around and people just sort of live a secondary life as it were like yeah the, the, the um, empire is like the biggest one of the biggest games it is I think the biggest game in the UK it's incre- incredibly complicated there's politics and like religion and, and things in this sort of fantasy empire that people live in and, and people you know and it's it's all you know i think it's absolutely wonderful and it's very i said it's very um it's very queer like astonishingly so like um pronoun badges are so normalized at events like you know and that's actually like a conscious thing people who cis people wear them just to sort of make them more normal and things like that and uh yeah and in the in the world in the fantasy world of the thing. I mean, there's lots of kind of problems in the fantasy world, but there's like a specific thing where they've said that they don't want anything that any any kind of negative thing that exists in the real world doesn't exist in the fantasy world. There is no sexism, transphobia, homophobia, racism. Well, there is racism, but it's against orcs. So it's like right. you know, um, you know, it's okay. There's no skin. <laughs> there's no skin color racism. Right. Nothing like that. There's no, none of that. Um, and in the in the fantasy world, you know, trans people exist as magical HRT bones that people take that that make you know and, and things and it's all <laughs> so it's this kind of wonderfully wonderful kind of environment where um 
you can actually be it's actually completely normal to be trans mm. like which is amazing um so even though i don't sort of take part fully in the yeah i'm sort of work for the company and so i'm but i do have a character who goes around doing that and i'm just me like i'm just her she's just yo it's that's really kind of fun sorry that's wonderful yeah. I, I had no idea oh it's yeah it's <laughs> it's a it's it's, a, it's very nerdy <laughs> um as you can imagine um you know lots of you know lots of sort of um wizards and foam swords and things mm. and, and, and this that and the other but, it, but it's it's incredibly um creative and sort of wonderful environment yeah yes and that's uh, so yeah, obviously none, none of those events are happening this year, unfortunately, mm. because of the, the situation. Um, but so I do that. Um, so book, like, here on the island, mostly I go to lots of board game evenings and things like that. Um, I have lots of friends with that because I work um, as an illustrator. I work for a board game company and um, have done sort of work with game design stuff. It's like a big, big passion of mine is, is modern board games. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've been to... Um, like board game conventions in Germany and stuff like that. Um, uh, and yeah, and sort of, and, and just sort of go out and socialising with, 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 with friends and, and things. There's lots of, there's not, there are quite a lot of queer events and things on the island. There's a book group and um, well, since white lesbians. Pride, I suppose. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, well, that's the thing. Yeah. Pride is such a, I don't, I, I would think, I don't know if I would have been able, if I would have felt like there was any hope in coming out on the island without pride i do wonder about that like because of all the negative experiences i had um i've, I've been in every pride because i mean i was i was identifying as i was like uh, even though like I, I, I was i was identifying as bisexual male for by you know before it's only since coming out that I've actually like fully kind of embraced that. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm a lesb yeah, a lesbian, um, which is. Sorry, I'm going. Off, do you mind if I go off on no, a tangent? No, no, please about, do. Yeah, yeah whatever, whatever you're talking. Because it's interest, to. interesting. Because like, because um, I always like because straight straight men always have this kind of um, exaggerated disgust about homosexuality, about like oh no, yeah, having sex with a man, oh, especially you know when I was younger, um, and I never had that kind of grossed out feeling and that's why it always used to be my must be but actually I'm thinking I'm just kind of like completely neutral <laughs> towards, towards men uh, but when you know I'm attracted to, to women and, and that's something I've been able to sort of embrace and come to terms with now that I'm a woman but anyway um it's getting, it's getting a bit sticky in here isn't it um but so yeah pride uh, so yeah been in every every pride parade and that was kind of that was astonishing um, for the island, just seeing, like I didn't know what it was going to be like the first time. I was just like, "What is, what is this going to be like?" I mean, I've been in other prides before, um, and I was like, "What, you know, how many people are going to turn up?" I was expecting there to be counter protests. Yeah, I was expecting there to be sort of, you know, because <coughs> even at Lo yeah, London Pride, you get little penned off sections with you know, like the sort of like. Repent, repent, sinners. You know, as as the sort of you know, <laughs> the sort of leather twinks kind of dance past them, sort of like whatever. But um, there was none of that, and there were so many people, and it was just astonishing. Um, and like the kind of positive outpourings of 
you know, it seemed like there was so weird because, you know, especially just growing up on the island, there was nothing LGBT here at all. Nothing. No, not even a gay night that I knew of uh, anywhere, um, let alone a gay bar or anything like that. There was very little, um, you know, there was, I wasn't aware of, there was no transport group that I knew of. Um, I think there was possibly breakout that started, maybe. I'm not, I'm not even sure of the timeline of that. I think I was too old by the time I heard about it. You know, there was absolutely nothing. There was no support, no community. And then suddenly, <laughs> this, all the, and, you know, you feel like you're completely alone. And then suddenly all these people just there like and, and everyone's cool everyone's love yeah even though it's mostly yeah just an excuse for people to go out and have a booze up which everyone likes you know but it they're 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 there and it, and it was it was astonishing i pride you know pride was pride was huge really really huge i mean it's had an incalculable effect on the culture of the island i think yeah mm. i think um yeah, just really has like like it's just like just blowing the cobwebs away, and I think yeah, you know, and, it, and it's it's weird like you know, yeah, like maybe the you you think maybe the island isn't quite as as <laughs> closed and conservative, and dreadful a place as as, as you think sometimes. Yeah, well, I think perhaps the, what Pride did was they allowed everyone to come out of their closets because you know, I know. So many people who, quite a few people, not so many, but I know quite a few people who came out, you know, because of pride, essentially, especially, especially older people, you know, people who, in their, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, even, saying like, yeah, well down, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing, and, and, because, yeah, and it, it, yeah, it allowed people to come out, and it showed you that actually there is, there is all this, there are all these people here, there's all, there's so many, because you think, you know, you know, statistically, there must be thousands of queer people mm. on the island, but you never, you didn't see them. <clears throat> in 1992, the mm. statistics that we managed to gather mm. um, says that there were around approximately 12,000 LGBT uh, um, people on, on, the, on island. the island yeah, that who makes, identified as LGBT, that so in, that was 1992. It's about 10%. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's the higher, yeah, because you, you know that there's somewhere between 5 and 10% of the population are queer in some way. Mm. That's what all the statistics tell you. Um, and so, yeah, but and then suddenly, and you don't, you don't, yeah, and then suddenly they're all there. Yeah. It's great. Wow. And I think that, they, yeah, walking down, walking down Union Street, and especially, I mean, when I did the Pride last year, Walking down Union Street in a dress, <laughs> and everyone just cheering and whatnot. That was quite. That was quite something. I think. It really was. I was so nervous, but it was. It was quite something. Has your view of the hostile environment kind of somewhat changed? Somewhat. The... Somewhat. I mean. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, in the, in the UK as a whole, I think there is a quite a hostile environment towards trans people specifically. Um, certainly in upper echelons, British, the, the establishment, as it were, um, you, you've got sort of 
debate in newspapers and things like that, lots of kind of stirrings about different sorts of legislation and, and, and transphobic laws and things, and all that, you know, so which makes everything feel very, makes me feel very anxious about the situation generally. So, yes, you recently led a protest, I did, right? yes, I did. Um, I did recently lead a protest. Uh, there were some leaks uh, to, uh, that were sort of to the Sunday Times sort of uh, mooting the idea that, that not only would the government not reform the Gender Recognition Act, which is something that's been promised and worked towards for years and years and years, but they would actually um, make changes to the Equalities Act that would make trans people's lives considerably more difficult and unpleasant, essentially. Um, we're going to be around the bush. That's that's how it's going. So, I was. I there were waves of protests up and down the country, and I think we we organised the smallest one here on the island. But um, because of the coronavirus situation, there was one in Southampton. But I thought because of the coronavirus and, and things, it was <coughs> very important that we had something on the island mm. that people could go to. And it, it was, yeah, and it came it came off quite well. Um, and and that those those plans seem to now have been kicked into the long grass. And who knows what will happen. Um, it all seems very a bit scary and precarious. So, but when we put the island specifically, yeah, I, it does feel. I this is the weird. This is the weirdest thing, right? So I, I was sure that I was I was braced, as I said, for for hostile reactions. I was braced for sort of street harassment and things like that. And I mean, yeah. And I used. To, I mean, the thing is, when I used to have my big beard, I used to go around. I used to get crap having a big beard from people like people would like yell stuff at me passing cars like oh jesus <laughs> like kids call me like hagrid or <coughs> something or um like you get weird stuff like people would like sort of say weird things to you in pumps or like and there's a weird thing like women would like, older women would come up and touch it like unsolicited like you know they, 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 like they do with pregnancy bumps or something it was, it was all so i was like i was prepared for like all of this stuff and actually it seems that that big beard was more socially unacceptable to people on the Isle of Wight than being a trans woman is. <laughs> I would never have guessed that in a million years. I do. Maybe, maybe I just I pass better than I think I do. But as I said, I've, I've not had. I've had maybe one, one incident in my in the. I've been out for more than a year. Year and year and year and two months nearly now. Living full time as a woman, and in all that time, I've had one possible. I would say it's even like a possible incident. I was out jogging and some kids jeered at me. And I honestly, I had my headphones in. And I don't know whether they just jeered at me because I was jogging. You know what kids are like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, person. Uh. And uh, wh what about, is there any, any support on the island um, for the trans community? Yeah, there is. I mean, we've got um, Time for Tea support group. And that, they, that was actually really important to me coming out as well. Like, I... First thing, one of the first things I did when I was coming out was I looked around for something locally that, like, that could, people that could help me out, and I it was it was a bit difficult to find because I wasn't on Facebook at the time. I actually had to make a new Facebook account under my um, new name, but I got in contact with Anna Murray, one of the people who helped run the group. She met with me one on one in, in a coffee shop and sort of talked to me and like kind of assuaged some of my fears and things and. and help normalise it and that gave me the confidence to come along to a session. And the first couple of times I, I came along just as, as my old self. And then I it was the first, and then I sort of remember the first my first time I went to a group and I actually put my makeup on 
I went out of the house in, male, in men's clothes, but wearing my makeup, which was like the first time I'd ever done that. And I went to the, the trans group and I changed into a dress and things. And I actually managed to walk back from the group at night in a dress. Uh, and that was like a huge step for me in kind of publicly kind of thing. So it was, it was, and, and just sort of listening to everyone's stories and being there and having that solidarity. It was really, really, yeah, really, really important for me, that, that group. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I would have come out, but yeah, so there is that. Apart from that, not, not so much, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, so like, yeah, the, the, no, I've not had any kind of, not much support medically um, from any kind of anyone locally or anything like that. Um, she wouldn't really expect to, but... Um, How your GP? Uh, your GP? The GP um, is um, kind of, yeah, she, she's, she's tolerant, understanding, um, she's worked with me on it, also kind of doesn't know what she's doing. Um, they, 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 they screwed up my referral. Um, initially, and, and so delayed it by several months, which was oh, it's, it's spilt milk now. But that was kind of, and that but I, I'm I'm pretty confident that wasn't malice. It was just them not quite understanding the procedure. Um, you know, partly a problem of, of the way the system's set up, as much as anything. But um, but it's certainly something. Yeah, the GP's been pretty good. They 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 work with the private people shared care agreement so basically my my private um, endocrinologist suggests the medicines that I should be prescribed and the blood tests that I should have to my GP who then orders them which means I don't have to pay um, private fees for everything just for the consultations which is which is very great that yeah. keeps that keeps that does keep <coughs> the costs down quite quite a lot I mean it still sticks in the it, it, it does stick in the craw a little bit uh, that, that I have to resort to private mm. medicine at all. And is that because that is not um, the training for the NHS staff towards the trans? I think needs? yeah, th there's there's a lack of training and there's lack. It's an institutional problem because trans medicine isn't covered in basic medical training. It's seen as a very specialist and arcane um, sort of sub area of of. And even then, there is no specialist specialism. You can't just go to a to a medical school and learn about trans medicine in this country um it's something that people pick up you know they're trained on the job um mm. at gender identity clinics normally or somewhere uh, or, or in one of the private practices and it's kind of so it's yeah there is there is a kind of a lack of and there's a very huge there's a lot of timidity about it because because of the because of the environment in the press that the sensationalism i think about it um gps gps on paper are perfectly within their rights to prescribe um, cross-sex hormones to people um, they can't obviously refer people for surgery or anything like that but so yeah if someone comes in and they're trans they, they are perfect and there are some very few gps will do that because it's so controversial um, and because they're liable for anything that might happen mm -hmm. you know that, that, that it, i think they're, they're scared <laughs> Yeah. It's very, uh, very. Uh, it's not normalised in in any way, which is quite. You know, there are there are some schemes to possibly kind of make it easier, but they'll say you know, there's always sensationalism in the, in the press, unfortunately, mm. which is. Uh, Sydney, aside the um, mm. sci-fi world, mm -hmm. 
who were, were your models? For the trans stuff? Mm. Um, oh, for you as a person? Me as a person. You know, who were your models? I mean, were there models, you know, that... Uh, role models, you know, one of the, the topics we talk about, you know. <laughs> oh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of people I've admired. Um, <laughs> sort of, sort of um, going for writers and musicians and artists. Oh yeah, almost all of these people are women that I admire, <laughs> which is sort of possibly being. I mean, for for trans stuff, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There are, there are. I mean, I've read lots of like individual stories of people, you know, if they're coming out and things that have sort of struck a chord with me. And um, I don't know if there's any, because of course back, you know, there were no trans celebrities when I was growing up, really. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, people weren't, yeah, you know what I mean? It mm. was, and so there's, there's people like later on, sort of, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I respect, I have a lot of respect for people like Monroe Bergdorf and, and Laverne Cox and people like that, um, you know, who have sort of, but, but I mean, uh, sort of embarrassing, <laughs> I don't know, like, like, say, like role models. It's okay, I mean, maybe you didn't have, a, you know, you know, a kind of role model in, in, yeah, I, in particular, I mean. I, oh. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, I sort of in find sort of, you know, women who kind of pushed things forward <laughs> and stuff and, and just kind of being loud and, and, and I, I was a big fan um, of a, a, a punk musician called Polystyrene, the X-Ray Specs. Kind of going a bit kind of weird later on in life and trying to cult and stuff, but, but when she like her kind of music and the look and stuff was huge, like a big thing for me. I remember when she died, I was really like really like cried all day. <laughs> um, and uh, like various said, various kind of like women artists, um, like um, oh my god, my brain's frozen up. There's a the woman who. This is this is why I'm embarrassed because I I have I have really bad problems with names. I always have to look things up on the internet, so I can't tell you someone's my role model and then tell you that I can't remember what she's <laughs> called. Can I really? But that's well, true. But um, sometimes it's because it's not it's not that name that is the the important it, thing, isn't it? Not, it's, it's their action it's and the how action, their behaviour. It's the art. This this yeah. She she did all this um, feminist art. It's quite iconic. Um, with it's got she did, it's photographs and text bold text and black and white and red colours. Um, uh, she's this one, like just like this woman's face and it's kind of cut in half, half black, half like this half is half is negative and it just like this sort of slogan, your body is a battleground. Wow. And I think that, I think of that quite a lot because you're talking about like abortion and, and things like that and I think it kind of, it maps very well to the trans debate a bit as well because so much is contested about the medical care and, and things and, and sort of you know our genitals <laughs> and, and things like that Barbara something I think <laughs> another sort of like sort of you know um, artists 
and so like uh, writers like well like like Ursula, Ursula Le Guin, science fiction writer, absolute um, icon of mine. Um, she she's wrote, the one with the sci-fi feminist. Yes, absolutely, and she's written, written loads of other wrote loads of other stories, and she she wrote my absolute favourite of all time short story, um, which is called the the one with you walk away from Omalas, where she describes this like perfect society and this sort of utopian beautiful kind of thing and then she says that actually the thing about this society is that you know, there's this child in, who's in this basement and they're horribly abused and tortured and things and everyone in the society understands that for their perfect society to live this child has to live in misery and but then there's and then all these people and they kind of they accept it and they come to think but then there's the ones who walk away from Omalas and like yeah where do they go the mm. people who turn their back on this perfect world because they can't accept it's quite brechtian it is it, yeah and and she's this whole that bit you know the, the they walk away into the fields and no one knows where they yeah and they walk away from the hills and no one knows where they go but they know where they're going and it's just I, it's really beautifully written and it's but anyway so it's been choking up yeah <laughs> over oh. it already yeah um and and lots of other she wrote those stories and she's i very much admire her um, writing and thoughts and stuff. Um, loads of people, <laughs> and not just it's not just sort of women as well. Yeah, lots of writers and things. But yeah, no, <coughs> yeah. In terms of um, yeah, role models. So I suppose I suppose no one no one specific not specific. I mean specific people, but just kind of obviously I'm, I'm still kind of like trying to sort of come to accept my identity as, as a woman um but like for a long time um admiring women there being you know seemed like there's all seems like there's something illicit and weird about it like yeah because i've always been very interested in feminism and stuff but i was like do i have a right to be interested in feminism to, to call myself a feminist as a quote-unquote man <coughs> Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, these are questions I ask myself. Um, and the, well, in the Uganda, the second wave, the third wave, the fourth mm. wave feminism. So it's like, where do you? Where do I? Yeah, I mean, I've read lots, <coughs> lots and lots of feminists, and read lots of stuff about gender theory. I mean, it comes up in art um, a lot as well, thinking about the body and, and gender and image and presentation, all sorts of things like that. Um, but. But yeah, no. So that was so it was there was always kind of like a guilt, I think. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I always found outspoken, outspoken, outspoken feminist women. Simone de Beauvoir as well. It's like a, it's like an icon of mine, or like going way back. Um, someone like Mary Wollstonecraft. Well, isn't it, isn't she someone the one who says the sex is a one is one is not born but becomes a woman. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> one is not born but becomes a woman. Yeah. Obviously, something that. that uh, resonates with me mm. um, but well there is an element of, to be said about that isn't it mm. you know from when you live in a pat patriarchy society mm. the, all the rules the patriarchy rules it's like mm. um, you somehow kind of mold yourself into a role yeah yeah absolutely um, well there's this whole thing as well about you know the, 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 the women are about women being seen there's this sort of uh, going to the art period there's a wonderful passage from uh, John Berger where he talks about the what, what later writers came to call the male gaze about how women 
because of the way that, that women are looked at, where they're portrayed in, in society as, as sort of um, beautiful, that they're constantly, women are taught to constantly think about how they look and how they regard themselves. And there's, they're kind of like, it's like a sort of self-consciousness um, to it. And, and, and sort of, and I remember you know, sort of coming out and starting to present as a woman, I was incredibly conscious of that, especially, keeps singing um and especially as a as a trans woman um it feels like and that's one thing actually it's interesting as well especially um being on the island being this very small community um so like a lot of people like talking to other people online especially trans people there's like a they often have quite long kind of in between periods almost like when they, when they, while they're transitioning they will you know that the the the, the boy mode is, is the thing you, you boy mode and girl mode you know you you some some contexts you will be presenting female some contexts you will still be presenting male um you don't have you know and you kind of like go through it and it gradually kind of build up to being but it felt for me on you know in this context like once i made the switch it had to be pretty switched had to had to sort of pretty commit really heavily to to You know, um, you know, any time I go out of my house, I might meet someone that I know um, in Newport. And yeah, and it's saying uh, uh, earlier, there's a, I sort of was panicked by the idea that you might turn up early oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because I hadn't finished shaving and putting my makeup on. And because you've only known me post transition, it's very kind of important to me that your mental picture of me is me as a woman all the time. Yeah, I don't want you to see my stubble. Um, and my, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't want anyone to have that image of me in their head. I want that image to fade away and go away. Um, so that's been a yeah, part of, part of um, the ex unique experience coming out of trans on the Isle of Wight, I think, is not unique to the Isle of Wight, but it's, it's that very, being trans in a very small community, it's very kind of, I can't remember how I got onto this train of thought, but it's very kind of um, public. You don't have the privacy to, um, you just have to kind of do it, you know, as a way. We're talking about like image and how you, you know, you see image, yourself as a yeah, woman. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. So like that, I'm very self-conscious of like having to present a, and like, it's not like I'm, I feel like I'm being fake, but I feel like I have to push, put myself across in a way that I am understood by as many people as possible to be a woman. Um, and I think it's very important for me. I feel like I won't be taken seriously. If you don't present the image that they expect to get? No, yeah, not, not necessarily the one that they, but a image that they that people find plausible, I suppose, maybe, as a woman. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it seems, yeah. Well, it's a bit it's semiotics, isn't it? In yeah, it, it's it all is. about semiotics. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. <clears throat> and um, how we see the world and... Yeah, so, I mean, because I, for me it's very important. I, I want to know that when people look at me, they see a woman. And I know that maybe you know, we're not there necessarily in society as a whole, let alone on the island, where people can, will just be able to kind of pick up on very subtle clues. People, I, I know that we're not somewhere, I think, on, I don't think the Isle of Wight is the kind of place where people can accept like a woman with, with a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> you know, 
Um, so I have to wear my makeup. You know, every uh, I've got very dark hair that shows uh, pale skin. So even with after a very good shave, you can see that kind of blue um, tone coming through. So I need to wear makeup. All the, anytime I'm out the house, I'm I'm in my makeup. Um, because there is an interesting in in the UK, I think mm. in England in particular, because of the history of uh, drag, mm -hmm. of, you know, um, uh, dressed as a girl, mm -hmm. and in that there are elements mm. of that which in other cultures you don't quite get, which kind of like can be a, a, maybe another hurdle for you, Absolute, perhaps. Absolutely, absolutely, <coughs> yeah. That 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 is a yeah, because you're kind of threading threading a. You know, Scylla and Charybdis, you know, you've got being seen as a man on one side, and you've got being seen as a, as a panto dame, oh. essentially, on the other side. And you've got to kind of, you've got to kind of steer your ship between the two. And the worst thing for me, I'm sorry, I'm, I really don't know why pinging me all the time. Um, the worst thing for me is when you have... Uh, uh, like sort of say like lads on a stag do rugby team whatever going out in crappy drag you know as, and, and, and you know I've been in a pub where suddenly you know, like a load of lads have come in wearing you know you know what I mean like, like yeah that image is so and, and that right. is just like to me that's like I'm like god the idea that anyone could look at me see that is like the worst it's the worst feeling in the world i have to get out of this situation immediately drink up and go you know um so yeah yeah like so to, the idea of yeah being seen yeah and you you have like this whole pervasive like you know trans, trans women have been figures of, of, of mockery not i'm mean, not even saying comedy mockery in in um so even kind of like Naughties and in sitcoms, you know, in sketch shows in Little Britain or League of Gentlemen or whatever, you had sort of um, very vicious comedy um, aimed at trans women, uh, sort of mocking, you know, masculine traits and, and, and sort of the parodic um, femininity and whatnot of, 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 you know, very, very nasty stuff, really, um, especially. Of, I mean, yeah, like the sort of going off completely another little tangent, you know, the, 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 the gatekeeping with the, the medical stuff, especially even much more so, even more back then, doctors would expect you to kind of amp up your femininity as much as possible to really prove how trans you are. So people would have to like wear very, you know, like really heavy makeup and, and dress very femininely and always, you know, the long hair and everything all the time. And so you know, people get this idea of trans women as being very feminine and glamorous, and a bit, yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah. So that there is that, that yeah, you're right. That that drag thing is, is something, and I'm not, I'm not. That's not me at all. I'm never. No, no I understand. I mean, yeah. but I think it, 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 I mean, I, I, I was working on a project the past couple of years, which was about being trans, and it's the story of a uh, young boy, a Brazilian, mm. who <coughs> travels to New York, he's kicked out of his uh, yeah. uh, journey, uh, out of his house, out of his village, mm. and ends up in prostitution. Yeah. Um, 
and managed to get enough money to move to New York. Mm -hmm. New York, he uh, trans he he managed to go through the, the transitioning process, meets a surgeon, goes back to then moves to England mm -hmm. and goes then becomes her true self. Yeah. And then comes back home and then all the all the while she's sending money back home to support her family. Right. And suddenly she becomes a millionaire and she said, enough of petty <laughs> checks. I'm going to, you know, support you fully. I'm going to come and visit you. Yeah. But then they have to, uh, then there is this whole thing of the village wow. expecting. And then she arrives uh, as a true self. And the whole uh, project was about questioning, you know, yeah. about not only the image, but how the mayor of the town, the 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 the, the, the religion, you know, the religious bodies, the family, how they deal with it, and mm. and <clears throat> and it's, it's that kind of um, extraordinary story. Yeah, well, yeah. it's kind of like yeah, I mean, many there's a few stories I know that way. I mean, without the millionaire side of it. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, and I. One of the things we, we came across was that the element of drug it became a huge obstacle mm. for people to actually, um, s you know, see see an authentic self, you know, see, yeah. you know, and then it was a it was something that was very particular to the UK because when we did the story in Brazil, mm. in Brazil it was very different the the history of, that they have there. Yeah, and, but the feminization it goes to the other extreme as well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, when they does. expect to be uh, top models. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm not. I'm that's not me at all. Like I'm quite, I'm quite a, a, a grody lesbian, um, <laughs> and I'd like to be. I'd like to be less feminine than I feel like I have to be, if that makes any sense. Um, but I, I suppose it's being your authentic self, you know, whatever, however you define yeah, that. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm very conscious of that. If I dress exactly like that, I, I feel like I'm, I'm compromising to a certain extent. If I dress mm -hmm. exactly like how I'd like to dress. Sometimes I'd like to dress very kind of yeah. I like to wear a dress, whatever. But if I dressed exactly how I like, I, I don't think I think people would just see a man. So you've got to do what you've got to, what you've got to do. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, the yeah the drag thing. I think it's it, it's partly you know there's that because it because it, it sets up this idea as well that um, it's a costume. Yeah. Uh, that it's a persona, an act, um, and actually it's the opposite. You know, um, even though there's like some falsity involved, you know, especially before I started taking hormones, I, I wore quite a lot of shapewear, body padding, and th I used to wear fake, fake breasts, um, breast forms. Um, I still wear uh, hip pads and things, and tuck with tape and gas and th all sorts of things like that. But they don't. I, you know, I have worked a lot of it internally, so it doesn't. I, for me, it doesn't feel like a costume. Mm -hmm. It feels like I'm becoming. I'm becoming. I read. I was reading something really interesting recently, actually, about about how trans people interact with the body positivity movement, because um, the body positivity movement is all very wonderful in many ways, but it's also very difficult for trans people because a lot of the messages that are in it are actually completely. Um, they're not they're not ones that we can really take on um the idea that your body is like you know you've got to love your body there in none and sort of show it off and be free with it and actually no no that i feel free when i'm <laughs> construed when i when i when, mm -hmm. I'm, when things are covered 
you know, I, I don't want, you know, the idea of someone seeing me naked, apart from my, my wife, is just terrifying <laughs> to me. It's like, ah, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I can go to the, to the, to the beach and, um, and I wear like a, a top with, it's got, it's got kind of shapewear stuff built into it and things and, and shorts and things and I can kind of control everything and I can be sharp, yeah. Sorry, go. I'm I'm rambling. Um. No, but it's an interesting, you know, this idea of the body positive movement because mm. I've heard of it. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that you feel, you know, because uh, I was I didn't know what to make of it, you know, and mm. how, you know, not being trans myself, I don't know mm. how would that be because I have elements that I don't want to show my body to people, and I'm not even, you know, there. Yeah. You know. I, I think everyone. Yeah. It's, <coughs> it's, it's. I can I can accept it as like a sort of a very kind of a good eye, especially like with you know some way. You know, we can be very, you know, there's a lot of difficulties in our society with body image. People, a lot of people, a lot of women especially, not not just women, men as well, but, but I mean, all, I think it's almost universal among women that they, they have body image problems. Um, but I'm, um, I'm not surprised. Yeah, well, no, exactly. <laughs> and I said, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, if anything, catching up with men um, with this sort of, you know, the Instagram culture, they call it, you know, everyone is so selected everything all the images are so selected and airbrushed and manipulated and this and 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 it's this sort of fake and you're always trying to live up to this kind of fake ideal um and i think like a movement to sort of like to to, to sort of be more authentic and natural and and just accepting of of, of your sort of imperfection so-called imperfection whatever is, is potentially really great and really healthy, except it doesn't really work for trans people <laughs> because there's something, yeah, I mean, I personally, I mean, I can't speak for all trans people, and I think there's lots of different, I think there's might maybe even like different things that have been brought under the umbrella of being trans, different kind of causes and, and experiences and whatnot and so on. But for me, I have a very strong sense, especially now that I've kind of come to accept myself and I've, cause I've always had, um, and I didn't really it's amazing that I never really connected all this together I always had really uh, physical problems with my body like um, with especially with my testicles <laughs> sorry like when I, when I when I went to start going through puberty the first time uh, well you know I guess I could say yeah the first time um, and you know I was sort of 10 11 or whatever um, my testicles surging was very traumatic <laughs> and so and I, I remember distinctly what I used to do sometimes. Um, I used to lie in bed and I used to put, pour cold water on my, it's with a window open, I used to pour cold water on my crotch because it made them shrivel up. And I was hoping that if I did it enough, they would kind of suck back up inside and go away again. <laughs> and I don't, for some reason, I never put that together as being a trans thing. I used, I used, to, say to, I used to talk about it with my wife, saying, like, I really like one day I'd really like to be castrated. And, and she was like, are you sure you're not trans? I was like, no, no, absolutely not. No, it's just I hate my test. It's just, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, How wonderful that you can have that conversation with your mum. That was with my wife. That your was. wife, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, she's got a master's degree in gender and sexuality studies. Nothing, nothing shocks her on that front. Um, but... Um, that's, that's amazing, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I mean, very lucky because um, I know a lot of older trans women who I do count, uh, yeah, over 25, it's very common to get divorced. 
as part of, you know as part of the process very very common indeed and um, less getting less so slowly nowadays but it's still most people consider it you know a, a, a trauma that a marriage you can't survive if, even if you know, the the person isn't transphobic or whatever you know for a start I mean they're, they're, they're likely to be straight which can be although I know I know people who are still married to but that could be said to many marriages yeah do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Is <laughs> I think you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's supposed in terms of the identity and, and how you you discover each other because marriage is a hard thing. It you is. know, sharing your space and it's your huge. body and your whole life it's, with someone. It's a, it is a it is a really difficult um, thing. Now, you know, I think that if anything, we've actually become closer. Because mm. um, I'm more emotionally open and and yeah. <laughs> Happier certainly a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm miserable. Um, but so anyway, going back, yeah. So for me, I've always I have a very clear sense that that I have a internal map of my body that doesn't match what mm. is actually present. And slowly, hormones are helping those come closer together. Um, but it's still kind of quite difficult. And there's also, I mean, it, I'm getting over a bit now. But when I started hormones, um, it got quite rough for a while because. I suddenly felt like way more kind of present in my body, like that kind of dissociation I thought earlier could kind of gone away. But I was present in it, and I could actually feel like all the things that were wrong, like really viscerally for like almost like the first. And I was like, oh no, I hate it. I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't want to be in this thing. <laughs> Wonderful. But it's sort of slowly, slowly getting better. Great. I mean, mm. Sydney, I've asked everything I could, you okay. know, ask. And, um, is whether you have anything else you want to say, you want to live on record? Um, um, what is the future? The future? Well, what like I said, I said, worrying about the, the political side of things. Um, hopefully, I said that nothing, nothing too bad comes of that. And we push forward. Um, in terms of sort of, you know, I, I want to go off and go on and live my complete you know continue my transition complete the medical side of things i've had my laser hair removal and things have been interrupted by the coronavirus situation which is all pain in the ass but yeah and i kind of dream yeah I, even when, yeah i have this sort of like it's i just want to be me <laughs> live my life go for yeah a dream of kind of waking up in the morning and and being just me having everything be right in my body feel good and just, yeah, <laughs> that's, my, that's where I hope I'm going in the future. Great. And if you could give an advice to a younger person uh, of the LGBTQIA community? Um, if I could give, well, I'll give one piece of general advice, which is that people can surprise you in either direction. If you're worried about how people are going to take your coming out, then they, they might turn out to be your greatest allies. and But also, people who you think might be cool might not be. So, you know, just, just, just be aware of that. Um, but hopefully more than more the former latter. And also, I mean, to, to any young trans people specifically, um, I will say that, that very, 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 very few cisgender people think about being the opposite sex the extent that you do and and your desire to be um, a different gender is probably very very strongly indicative 
of, of the fact that you are true you are probably trans if you think you're trans and you've been thinking about it for more than a, a month or two you you probably are trans and you should you should probably sit you'll 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 want to get on with things sooner rather than later if you cater in a safe place <laughs> so yeah that's my advice thank you thank you so much well so this is the end of our interview with Simi Kachev thank you Simi thank you wasn't that inspiring thank you Sydney for sharing your story with us what an amazing journey Remember, you can connect with us. Visit www.outonanisland.co.uk or follow us on our social media at outonanislandiw. Also, don't forget to use the hashtag OurStoriesMatter. Thank you for listening, folks. Mm-hmm.